It's time to think bigger. Elias Pedersen scores! And think bolder. Matthew Kachuk, what a goal! This is Rintoul and Sermon. Another chance, great save by Markstrom. There is shot, rebound, great save by Timko. On the Sportsnet Radio Network. What's going on? How's your Thursday? It's Rintoul and Sermon. Right back at it on was expected to be a newsworthy day in the National Hockey League. We know the schedule is going to come out later today. We know some of the schedule nibbles in and around the start of it. We know there's going to be Olympic break included, though we don't know if it's actually going to be utilized. But we're expecting some news about an hour from now. How are you, Karen? I'm doing pretty good this morning, Scott. I wonder if I'm as good or maybe not as good as Ron Francis is, is this morning. I'm not quite sure, but I am uh, have all eyes right now. 57 minutes and counting, as you said. We're going to get some news hopefully coming out in about an hour's time that we can react to like we did yesterday. The trade freeze is officially lifted at 10 o'clock east uh, sorry 10 o'clock pacific and 11 o'clock mountain so that should give us some meat to on the bone today scott i'm how are you doing i'm doing all right i hope our listeners are as well i hope you're off to a great start we're going to make your day better 960 650 650 the seattle expansion draft is in the books and we can get to the broadcast in a second did ron francis outthink himself that seems to be mm-hmm. the prevailing question here today there are a lot of people dunking on seattle they were last night they might still be this morning saying look at this roster it could have been so much better yeah you've got cap space but you still have to ice a team and we'll put that out there to our listeners as well 960 did ron francis overthink this karen Oh, boy, Scott. Uh, In the initial, if you're just going to go in the moment, you probably think, yes, he did. If you're going to do the long, slow play, which I think Ron Francis is here for, um, it's like a book to me. Scott, we've seen the prologue. Let's do it. The first chapter is written at about uh, 56 minutes from now, and then maybe, you know, I'll save judgment to the end of the book come September to see what this roster looks like. Hey, Ron Francis did the one thing that we expected when we saw what the selections were going to be. He valued cap space. He said it going in, and he doubled down on that yesterday, Scott. Initial look at this roster was, well, yeah, it's pretty underwhelming. Decent on the defensive side. Okay in net. But where are they going to score goals? And is that why he maybe overthought himself? But I'm going to reserve some judgment on where this is going because I do want to see what comes out in about an hour's time. And far beyond that as well, quite frankly, because this is about opportunity cost. And whether he's wrong or right, and it's obviously beyond Ron Francis, this is about the consortium down in Seattle, this is about opportunity cost. This is like going shopping. I don't know what kind of shopper you are, Karen. I don't know what kind of shopper our listeners are. But there are some people, when they've got money in their pocket and they're at a mall or they're out shopping, they're going to spend the money before Mm -hmm. they get home. And they might not find the perfect shirt or the perfect shoes, but they're going to spend on the best they can find that particular day. Ron Francis took the approach of, okay, I've got to spend some stuff. Like, there are some essentials I need to get by with here. And -hmm. I'm going to save some money for when I really see something I like. Now, whether that's on the free agent market, whether that's opportunity cost with a trade that could be brokered down the road when some of these teams who dangled contracts out there wondering if Francis might bite with players that are attractive by financial situations that aren't particularly attractive, do those teams a week from now find themselves in a cap crunch as they want to do something different? Francis didn't let them off the hook in that regard, and now they circle back and say, all right, You said it would cost this. Where are you at right now with your price? Can you help us Mm -hmm. out? Can we help you? 
Uh, I'm an impulse shopper, Scott. I tend to go into a grocery store without a list and when I'm hungry. So you can uh, probably <laughs> figure out what that means. So I'm guessing I'm not the Ron Francis type of uh, general manager when it comes to that. Hey, what we found out yesterday was that, and I don't know if you've thought this as well, Scott, general managers learn something and get from Vegas. And maybe Ron Francis did and he didn't. Like, So when I say general managers learn something, they learn not to pay a high price. Or they're just willing to say, look, I'm going to lose one player. I'm not going to overvalue an asset and want to keep them and give another player away. This is what's going to happen. We're in a flat cap. I lose somebody off my roster. It gives me some sort of financial flexibility. I'll just go from there and then figure it out after. If I have to move other assets around, I can figure out after I know who I've lost. Ron Francis maybe learned a little too much by Vegas thinking that, okay, they were able to get some assets and some good players from general managers who wanted to have protection or had protection issues, whatever the case may be, cap issues. And maybe he overvalued what those general managers did in, in Vegas, with Vegas, and thought he could get that from the general managers this time around. And the cost we know is high, was high. He apparently wasn't willing to waver on any of these costs, whether it was to take bad contracts or to not take a player off the roster. So it's twofold. It's GMs learn from Vegas, and maybe Ron Francis overvalued what Vegas and George McPhee were able to do five years ago. You're right about the prices. Elliot Friedman confirmed that in his latest 31 Thoughts, the podcast, for Mark Giordano in particular. The ask was a first and a third. That price never wavered. We heard Brad Treliving in a pretty emotional press conference last night. It was mm -hmm. about 10 minutes talking about the type of player, the type of person. Mark Giordano has been for the Calgary Flames, a team that loses its captain yesterday. And it seemed like, well... Treliving was prepared for the reality until it's actually there. You're never quite mm -hmm. sure how you're going to react. And I'm not going to say that there's remorse in not paying up because Treliving knew he had to make a business decision. He reiterated, re reiterated that time and time again. It just felt like he hoped the reality was going to change, maybe believed the reality was going to change in terms of the ask for Ron Francis, and it never, ever did. You and I discussed the fact, okay, this is the initial ask from Ron Francis, and then maybe there's some negotiation to be happening. You know, does a first and a third become a second? Whatever the case may be. It didn't with Ron Francis. He was holding firm on what he wanted because he wanted to have that cap flexibility. Mark Giordano actually is the highest cap value that they took of any player in the expansion draft, Scott, at that $7 million. Brad Treliving, I like the clip he used yesterday. He equated it to expecting your girlfriend to break up with you. And then hoping it doesn't happen, but then finding out the reality that, you know what, it does. And that's the end of the relationship. And that's what happened with Mark Giordano. I understand why he would be emotional. It's your captain of your team. It's a player who gives his heart and soul. I saw Eric Francis write in a Sportsnet article saying, like, he's a player who goes down to block a shot with his face in an exhibition game. Like, that's the player that Mark Giordano was. He's great in the community. And I can only imagine how tough it was having that conversation with Mark Giordano saying, look, like, you're going to be selected. We're putting you out there. And this is just a business decision in the end. And in for a business decision, you know, Brad Treliving, he gets $7 million in cap space. And some players may say, or people may say, hey, he got nothing in return. You didn't get any assets. Well, you got whatever Ron Francis has been saying. Cap space is gold right now. And that's what Brad Treliving did. Sucks for the Flames to lose a player like that, heart and soul. But in the end, this always just comes down to a business, Scott. Giordano looked a little strange in blue after seeing him in red for all of those years. Back to his now former GM, Brad Treliving, who did everything, at least according to him, he could to keep Mark Giordano within reason. Have a listen. 
In order, in order for this not to happen, I'll say, in order for this not to happen, um, was just it was it was a it was a price that we couldn't pay, and uh, um, so it's you know it's tough, but um, in terms of the communication with Mark, it was it was consistent and, and constant throughout the process. Just couldn't find a way to mm-hmm. get his head around paying the price that was being asked, which obviously never came down. Now the question with Mark Giordano, who he didn't <laughs> look like he was in the worst situation possible, but he also wasn't Brandon Tanev, who we can get to in a second, who was amped, as he always is, and made fun of his own picture and everything like that yesterday. But it just felt like that hard reality was setting in for Mark Giordano. Does he remain with the Seattle Kraken? One school of thought is, look, he's a pending UFA. This is a cutthroat business. If there are teams interested, they flip him. The other school of thought is, are you actually going to bring someone out live in front of a crowd, have them speak on a microphone, and then send that player packing immediately? And not just any player, like a player who's played his entire career with one franchise and aging career probably hoped to um, retire as a Calgary Flames Scott like to go through the emotions that he's probably gone through over the past couple of weeks and the past 24 48 hours to trot him out (laughs) in a Seattle Kraken jersey it just strikes me as a little odd that you would then flip him right away there's no reason why you can't keep him and then flip him at the trade deadline he could be an asset then but initially like if I'm to be a betting person I think I'm going to say Mark Giordano is opening night against Vegas going to be in the lineup for the Seattle Kraken it just makes it just doesn't make enough sense to me to do that to a person who's already been through so much emotions over the last little while yeah, I'm with you. I think the players they rolled out yesterday are the players who are going to be there on opening night. And there's a lot of players that they picked yesterday that aren't going to be. And maybe some are moving today. There's already the rumor or I can't even call it a certain trade, but Tyler Pitlick's moving. It's whether it's to Calgary or not. That has been mm-hmm. put out there by multiple insiders. Calgary would appear to be the front runner. Friedman mentioned in the 31 Thoughts of the podcast that Philadelphia perhaps could be in on that conversation as well. We'll get the announcement of that deal in just over 45 minutes' time. Who knows? With the trade breakers and insiders out there, maybe it'll be a little bit before that. We've got these texts coming in that we should probably get to. We asked the question off the top. Did Ron Francis overthink the expansion draft. This one comes in, no, and I'll say that because there's still a lot of offseason to go. So mm-hmm. much could happen over the next 48 to 72 hours. That's my line of thinking as well, Karen. Not that it has to be done in the next two to three days, but there is a lot of offseason to go. I can't sit here and say, yep, he overthought it when he decided to value cap space. I want to see how he utilizes that, and he doesn't have to use it all now. I just want to see what the actual roster looks like for opening night. I'm not going to dunk on a roster that is never going to come to fruition. That's why I said it's like a book, and let's get to the epilogue, which will be opening night in uh, Vegas against the Vegas Golden Knights. We did find out that, that yesterday, Scott. Golden Knights, Seattle Kraken will open the season. Um, it's funny because the team right now, and if you're going to look at it, judge a book by its cover, it doesn't have a lot of sizzle, doesn't have a lot of pop. There's not going to be a lot of goal scoring on this team. If this was the team that they go to ice with in September, which there's going to be a lot of changes. I mean, right now, Jared McCann is your first line center and is, you know, decent at a player Jared McCann is. That's not exactly where you want to slate him in. Um, I still think, you know, there's going to be something coming down in the next, what now is it, 45 minutes? And let's not forget... 
less than a week from today, July 28th. Like, what can he do? Can he circle back to some of the free agents he was talking to? Apparently, he talked to Gabriel Landeskog. Apparently, he came pretty decently close with Jaden Schwartz, whose name has been out there. What does he get for some of the players on his roster? Because there are some very intriguing players that he did select, like a Vince Dunn. Does he flip him? He's an RFA. But if you look at, you know, the kind of the four defensemen that are locked in, like where does Vince Dunn uh, equate on this roster? So is that something that he can get uh, some team to bite in? Like there's still a lot of things left to do. $30 million in cap space. They don't have to get to the ceiling, but he has said, Ron Francis, that ownership has given him the ability to get to the ceiling. So let's just initially, yeah, doesn't look impressive, but there's still so much time until September to get there. And so many questions about which defensemen are actually locked in. I'm not sure Carson Soucy's one of them. He does look like that on paper, but there are rumors out there perhaps linking him to the Rangers. Is there a deal to be done there? That apparently is one of the teams to watch today when we see this trade freeze and roster freeze lifted, whether it's a deal with Seattle, whether it's a deal with someone else, some smoke. We'll see if there's fire around the name Ryan Strom and if that could be part of a package coming back. The expansion list was certainly thin on center, and they will have to address that mm-hmm. need somehow, some way. This text comes in from Chef Swagger from Hell's Kitchen. Why are we surprised at the expansion draft picks? Francis is an analytical GM who typically builds through the draft. That decor is already better than Vancouver's, and he has cap space to swing a trade for someone like, oh, I don't know, Jack Eichel. Offer sheet Elias Pedersen. That last part the latter part of the text there would be the fear of course for the Vancouver Canucks that perhaps part of the thinking is leave all this cat space and go big time after a, an RFA like a, an Elias Pettersson I mean that'd be ballsy on uh, Ron Francis's part he's got the cap space now Scott I don't know if he wants to do that with a uh, rival that is only uh, what's it two and a half hours on the I- north on the I-5 as Chris Fowler kept saying last night on the broadcast uh, he's apparently driving overnight when there's no traffic on the road. Oh, but, man, that's yeah. a guy with Nexus like me. I've got Nexus. You're a two-and-a-half-hour trip. That's what I'm talking not about. To Van- not to Vancouver, maybe to White Rock or so, Surrey. But have you ever been through the uh, Everett's, that area, Everett down to Seattle? It's a nightmare these days. That You can do two-and-a-half hours in just that span. So Seattle I say traffic, overnight Nexus. Seattle traffic is horrible when it's bad, but it's not bad all of the time. You can hit it in a horrible situation. I agree with you there. But you can make it in two and a half hours, and you don't have to be breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law. Now Calgary fans know how Canucks fans feel when we lost Markstrom and Tanev, says this next texter, obviously referring to Mark Giordano. Although here's mm. the difference. Flames fans... And please correct me if I'm wrong here from the other side of the Rockies. Flames fans had known this and had settled into this reality for a very long time. With Markstrom and Tanev, that went right up until the first day of free agency. The belief was always there that Jacob Markstrom was going to get done until he wasn't. Same with Chris Tanev. Yeah, maybe he's gone, but likely he's back in Vancouver. Then all of a sudden, he wasn't. That was more of a rip a Band-Aid off and see how you feel right away, whereas with Mark Giordano... This had been known for quite some time. Flames fans had already gotten their heads around it. Yeah, absolutely. We had known this for a very long time, and we had put the question out there, Scott. Like, would 
when discussing about kind of what the optimal thing was for this offseason for both of these teams. And a lot of people said, well, yeah, we're going to lose Mark Giordano, but do you have, is the optimal thing to kind of keep him and put assets? And most fans said, no, you don't keep him. You don't give away assets. You just have to let him go. 38-year-old aging defenseman. I understand, 37. He'll be 38 when the puck drops. And you just can't, a team that finished where they finished in the standings, you just can't give away assets to keep someone like that, whether it's your captain or not. So I think that was understandable. Ron Francis has, he, I mean, he's obviously got some sort of plan. The first plan was the expansion draft. Now he's got the entry draft tomorrow. Scott, we do know that there's always player movement around the entry draft. Is there something that Ron Francis can do there? Then he's got free agency. And then after free agency, he has the summer to try and take advantage of teams that still have cap issues. He can recircle back to some of the teams maybe that he's having conversations with in the past. Like, there's still a lot of time for him to make some decisions. I'm not making excuses for him. Like, it was very underwhelming yesterday, personally. But there is still time for him to make, quote-unquote, a splash to improve this team. There are a lot of people weighing in on the production. We will get to that throughout the course of this hour. Believe me, we will get to the production of what you saw on television last night. But we should get in the bigger notes of the day. One of the biggest right now, Zach Hyman would appear to be an Edmonton Oiler. It just looks like it's a matter of term. Is it going to be a seven-year deal? Is it going to be an eight-year deal? And the latest reports coming out, look, he's going to get about $40 bucks, plus or minus whatever, but it's going to be in and around $40 million, either spread over seven years or eight. The only way, of course, they can get to eight is if they work out a sign-and-trade sign with trade. the Leafs, in which the Leafs would get some sort of asset back to help Ken Holland and the Edmonton Oilers lower the AAV. But Zach Hyman's going to get his money, and he's going to get it from the Edmonton Oilers. So, Scott, I talked to some people who watched a lot of Hyman over the last couple of years with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and this was a quote I received from one person. He's exactly the winger that McDavid needs. Four checks, retrieves pucks, drives the net, plays on the PK, very sound defensively. He's 29 and has had two major knee injuries and gets banged up a lot. To me, anything more than four years is ugly. That is my concern with 29-year-olds who play the style that he has. I've said it on this show before. You can go back to 2016 and look at some of those contracts. Do you want to put point to Milan Lucic? Not quite the similar player, but bigger body power forward brought in to play with Connor McDavid at the age of 28, signed a seven-year deal. Look where that ended up for at least the Edmonton Oilers. You look at the Justin Abdelkader contract that uh, Ken Holland signed. Same thing, couple seasons of 20 goals per season, 29-year goals, or 29 years old, signs him to a long-term deal. He scored 26 goals over the rest of that contract and was bought out at the five-year point. So for me, like the player, hate the term sure but how many years do you actually care about if you're an Oilers fan and I say that Four. because what are Four. we talking about what are we talking about with Connor McDavid Leon yep. Dreisaitl perhaps this management at some point you better win or else things are going to take a turn like Connor McDavid isn't waiting seven years and hopefully in the seventh year of Zach Hyman's deal you win so I don't love the overall term for a player of that age and going into free agency to do it because generally there's always an overplay, an overpay, I should say. I do understand sacrificing the term here to try to get something done in these next three to four years because of the pressure there is with that particular player at the top of your roster. Those two and is really what I should be referring to. Hey, I, I said the same thing with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. For, the final four years of that deal don't mean anything. 
And if Zach Hyman signs a seven, eight-year deal, the final four years of that deal don't mean anything either. Because Connor McDavid walks into free agency in five years. He can sign a contract extension in four. Leon Dreisaitl walks into free agency in four years. If you don't do anything in the next two, three years, those two are walking right to free agency. And guess what they're doing? They're walking right out the door of Edmonton. So... It's not about do they <laughs> do they want to you know demand a trade to get out. It's the reality of the situation. Free agency hits in a few years, and they will leave if Ken Holland cannot produce some sort of winner up the QE2 there in Edmonton. All right. I guess my other question would be: Does Zach Hyman play defense? No. They still need some blue liners there, don't they? They're not the so only do a team. a lot of teams. <laughs> They're not the only team. Vancouver. Looks pretty thin back there with a lack of blue liners signed, and you might like some of the ones they have under contract. There just aren't very many of them right now. Edmonton needs to figure out something on the back end. Does Zach Hyman do enough to move things up front? Maybe, but they've tried to outscore teams for a while. they got to figure out what's going on on that blue line. Let's see if Ken Holland's involved in some of the trades today, and perhaps that's part of the bet. In Seattle, maybe not with Adam Larson, but maybe with some of the other defensive assets they acquired that uh, Ken Hall and uh, Jim Benning is going to come out and say, all right, we'll pay for that, and maybe we'll pay more than than you would have thought because the free agent market, it's not exactly ripe right now. I did hear Dougie Hamilton's name kind of thrown out there. like He would be a great fit in Edmonton, but Boston said today they need a defenseman. Uh, there's other teams out there. I mean, there's a ton of teams that you could say need a top pairing defenseman. We could look as closely <laughs> as Calgary and Vancouver and Edmonton. And so it's going to be, I think, a high price to pay if that's what you're going to get. Can Ron Francis hold some of these teams and get a higher value for some of the guys that he acquired? I guess that's probably his hope because of the market out there and the fact that a lot of teams need... Um, some answers on the back end. It'll be interesting to see. Well, I'm very curious to see where the Vince Dunn conversation goes because RFA, young defenseman who can play in your top four on certain teams, where is he on the depth chart with Seattle? That's one name that I have circled, Scott, going. I think a lot of teams will be very inquiring about that asset. About 35 minutes until the trade freeze, roster freeze lifts. We will get you that information as it breaks. And, yes, we'll get into the production of what happened with the expansion draft down in Seattle. We'll dig in a little deeper with Ryan Clark of The Athletic. He's in the Emerald City, and he's on this program next. Rintoul and Sermon. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. It was expected. It was expected. We talked about this leading up to the announcement yesterday morning, and I say yesterday morning because that's when all the news broke, long before Ron Francis and company ever got on stage down in Seattle. I'm impressed that actually he was asked the question about Carey Price. I didn't think anyone would have, you know, the gall to ask him about what the situation was. He didn't really give us an answer or any insight into the answer, only we thought about it. Eh, just didn't work for our cap hit, I guess is basically what he said. <laughs> Chris Fowler wasn't going to drag Seattle the way he dragged teams like Buffalo up there. It was awesome. Buffalo, Toronto, New Jersey. Like, and I loved how he kept saying, just facts, man. Just facts. <laughs> they did get dragged yesterday. He had a little bit of fun with that. And people took some umbrage with what he said about the Vancouver Canucks, Calgary Flames as well. Maybe a little too sensitive, but yeah, it was, it was part of the running theme. He didn't take a shot at everybody, but he took a few shots up there hosting the program. Yeah, he did. And hey, he's not a, you know, a hockey guy. He enjoys watching hockey, but he's not part of like the hockey broadcast before Scott. So maybe he's not <laughs> worried about how sensitive cer certain fan bases may take pot shots like that, especially 
you know, sorry, John in Vancouver, but especially the Toronto Maple Leafs fans not liking what he was saying out there. I thought it was fun. I thought, I mean, in general, and we'll get into this, the overall production of the night was a little lackluster, but I thought Chris Fowler making fun and having a good time up there was probably one of the highlights of the night. Yeah, I don't know if I have him in my on my podium of things that happened during the course of the programming yesterday. But there were a couple of moments from Chris Fowler. I'll say that. And his mic was working, which wasn't the At case least with every was. single mic during the course of the production. But, hey, just like life, just like our program yesterday, Karen, <laughs> you got to roll with it. Hey, remember when they announced the whole Seattle Kraken logo and stuff like that? Technology failed on them for a little bit of the first you know, 10, 15 minutes of that as well. So maybe it was to be expected. Sucks for them because, you know, Kevin Weeks comes out and his mic's not working. And then Ron Francis's mic's not working. But in the end, they figured it all out. We, we got through the hour and a half that it was, Scott. We're going to get through the first hour and then find out about some of the side deals. Looks like Tyler Pitlick is on his way to Calgary. We don't know the return. That's what the expectation is. Haley Salvian is going to join us an hour from now. Ryan Clark set to join us here momentarily from down in Seattle. Ryan had covered the Avalanche for years, now has moved to Seattle, and he's been on this program many times covering the crack. And we'll get his take as he's obviously in the city, and, and that's a different experience as well. We saw the production on television, but you're mm-hmm. not there. And some of these events are just better live in person. The crowd seemed to be having a really good time. What a day in Seattle. And I mean, you plan this for late July, and the likelihood of having good weather is pretty strong, but it looked perfect and as far as picturesque goes it did uh gasworks park is that what it was called scott where they had it just across from where downtown seattle is perfect little venue about five thousand fans there drinking some rainier beers and having a good old time and the paddle boards in the uh, bay there in the sound and the boats in the water it looked like an absolute beautiful day to be there and you know i mean it, it <laughs> I know we were very intrigued about watching it, and it did answer some questions that we had, uh, but uh, there's still so many more questions that have to be answered in the next few days. Which is why we have Ryan Clark here, if I can turn my mic on properly. He of The Athletic now covering the Seattle crack and joining us once again on Rinto and Sermon. Ryan, thanks for making time. I know you don't have a lot of it these days. How are you? We are doing very well. I think it's more about how is everyone in Seattle and what is the view moving forward. The expansion draft's in the books. What's your read on Ron Francis's plan of attack in forming his team from this point forward? It's this. They're going to be a team that's going to have more than $28 million in cap space, and it goes back to a theme that we've been hearing for quite a long time, which is how will the Kraken weaponize their cap space. And so when you look at what could happen once the roster freeze has been lifted, what they could do with the NHL draft, what they could do in free agency, and what they could do through other means of grabbing plays, whether it's waivers, trades, whatever the case might be, that was something Ron Francis discussed yesterday, which is they feel they have a lot of options. And so, yes, the initial reaction for people is, you know, how do you go from this sort of star-studded possibilities to, like, what you have now where you might have some notable players but even when you do a depth chart, you could see they really don't have three centers. Like, the fourth-line center role, it's a question mark. And, and, and you have players on this roster that some of them have less than 20 games of NHL experience. But, again, it comes with the understanding that when you look at how things are with this team, they're ninth in defense spending, which, yes, we just made the Seattle Kraken sound like they are a member of the United Nations talking about what they spend <laughs> on defense every year. You look at goaltending, because of the Dredger contract and because of the Vanacek contract, they're near the bottom. But again, you have two goaltenders that 
were successful and consistent last year, but you're not paying a, a, an extremely high price. But when you look at how much you're spending with forwards, it seems like that's where they're going to invest a lot of that $28 million. And the question is, are they going to invest it right away? Is it going to be in the free agent market? Is it going to be via trade as well? And to your point, this all comes down to opportunity cost. This is a, an organization that has been built with an analytical background. And obviously, as an organization, they did not see the opportunity cost of selecting more high-profile players to outweigh cap space. The question is, how do you believe Francis uses the cap space in the next couple of months? The key word would be judiciously. I mean, it's something that he's talked about before that he spends cap space as if it was his own money as opposed to ownership. And he got into this a little bit yesterday by saying, you know, there were proposals that were thrown out there where teams wanted them to, to take on someone with a high dollar amount. But for them, it was just a move that didn't make sense because if they're going to take on something with a high dollar amount, there had to be a justification behind it. Whereas if you look at the things that they've been able to do through the expansion draft, like it does give them that freedom and that flexibility to really go do whatever they want. And it goes back to something um, an agent said in a story we had in The Athletic not that long ago where we spoke with five agents about how could the Kraken look in free agency. And one of them said it's simple. They're a unicorn because they're going to be able to do things with camp space that no one else can do. Ryan, how much did the Vegas expansion draft, do you think, shape what happened in this one, either with, you know, GMs not willing to pay the, this uh, big price this time around, either to take money off the books or keep players that they wanted to keep? Francis talked about that a little bit last night as well. And his point was simple in that GMs learned that, hey, just go ahead and take who you're going to take and, and be done with it but also that it comes with the idea that everybody's trying to maneuver around the flat cap, which like, that's the thing that's always going to come up whenever there's the conversation about the Seattle draft experience versus the Vegas draft experience. It is that flat cap and the fact that teams are trying to find ways to, to move money. So yes, there's that idea that this is what GMs learned last time where it's like, okay, you can try to sit here and overthink these things. But when you look at the asking price, which is what the case was with some players, let's say like a Mike, Mark Giordano with the Calgary Flames. You know, for them, they, they felt like, hey, look, he, for someone who has one year left on his deal, who's at 36, 37 years old, is this almost too much to consider giving up for what might be one more year of a player, maybe two or three, you don't know how long he wants to continue playing. And, and, and so that was just it. Not only that, but again, if you're the Flames, for example, as difficult as it is to lose Mark Giordano, you are getting more than $6.5 million in cap space. Yeah, and for Calgary, that's I believe Mark Giordano is the biggest cap hit that the Vegas, or sorry, the Seattle Kraken did take yesterday in that player. Do you see him on this team going forward, or do you see him as an asset for Ron Francis to flip? It's interesting because you hear some of the things going around but then you kind of have to wonder about yesterday in the sense of mm -hmm. would it make sense for them to bring him on stage, put him in a sweater, have him do the media rounds only to then turn around and say, Hey, look, let's, let's move on from him. It's not to say those things can't happen, but it would just seem really strange and bizarre given how yesterday there was a literal production around this. And the Kraken even signed off last night with a tweet you know, of their six players, 
in arms wearing their jerseys, and Giordano was part of that group. So it doesn't – you don't even want to say it doesn't appear that would be the case. It's just – let's just leave it as it would be interesting just after everything yesterday where he's part of this production, they were to move on from him or, or he were to move on from them. Ryan Clark of The Athletic covers the Seattle Kraken. He joins us today on Rintoul and Sermon. What we do know is Tyler Pitlick's on the move, likely to Calgary. We'll find out for exactly what in approximately 20 minutes' time. Of the players that remain on this roster, and let's exclude the six that were there for the reason you just laid out, who do you believe is the most attractive asset to another team, the most coveted player that was taken yesterday that Ron Francis would consider moving? It could be one of the defensemen, because when you look at the breakdown, their top four appears as if it's going to be Vince Dunn, Jamie Alexiak, Mark Giordano, uh, and this is Adam Larson. when you go to bed at 5.30. Adam Larson. Thank you. Again, kids, don't say it until 5.30 in the morning. Your <laughs> uh, you, you, people bring you on radio, and you sound like, which way did he go, George? But anyway, <laughs> you look at that combination of players, and it looks like that's going to be your top four. So... When you look at everything else, it's like, okay, you look at, let's say, who would that third pair be? There is a case to be made for Carson Soucy. There's a case to be made for Hayden Fleury. Uh, there is a case to be made uh, as well for Dennis Chalowski is another name that comes to mind. Jeremy Lazan's another name that comes to mind. Where does Curtis McDermott fit into this? And so when you see that they have these defensemen, it looks like maybe that's where one of the moves could come. And as for who it could be, it's hard to say just because, I mean, when, when you look at, let's just say, the third-pairing defenseman conversation alone between what you have uh, with, let's say, Susie, Fleury, and Lausanne, you, you, this is where it gets fascinating because if you're looking at how do you build a PK, those are three options that you can run in addition to Giordano and, and, and everybody else that you've got up there. But then it's a matter of, well, who's the most expendable of those PK options, but also which of them had the most five-on-five -five ice time. So it's just going to be an interesting decision, but either way there's going to be value fixated to one of them, assuming those are one of the players to crack and move on from. Pretty clear they need help at center, and we knew that was going to be a precious commodity. They chose not to take a couple of exposed centers, the likes of Chris Tierney, so they'll have to address that need somehow, some way. What about in goal? You gave the case for the likes of Dreger and Vanacek, who've had some success, albeit a limited resume in their opportunities in the National Hockey League. Do you believe the Kraken are comfortable in goal moving forward, or do you think they will address that position as well? It's going to be hard to say because your point about a limited snapshot, it was interesting kind of going through the, the notes for the story last night. And pardon me if this number is incorrect, but I believe Chris Dreeser has 38 career games. Vitek Vanacek has 37, or if it's one of them is 37 and the other one's 36. The point is Chris Dreeser has won 21 career games over five seasons in the NHL. Again, that five seasons, some of it has been more than 10 games, some of it has only been a one-game snapshot. Vanacek won that many last year as a rookie. So there's definitely going to be some intrigue to see how this works from two players that had strong seasons last year, but how do you build from that? Now, that said, I mean, perhaps there's a possibility they could do something, but then it raises the question of, so what would be the odd goaltender out? I mean, Chris Dreeser at 3-5, Clearly, they see a future for him. 
But when you look at Vanacek and the fact that he's costing you less than $800,000 a year, we just talked about how this is a team that cares a lot about financial flexibility. And when you look at someone with his price for what he could bring, it seems like that would be a hard thing for them to move on from. Scott had mentioned the center position there, and Yanni Gord apparently is going to undergo surgery. He's likely back around November-ish. You've got Jared McCann there as well. But do you think Ron Francis is very much looking at Buffalo and Jack Eichel? It's an interesting conversation, but then it comes back to if you were to do that, what would you give up? And maybe that's the number two pick that you're looking at moving on from. And Francis has said before that, Maybe they're able to take someone at number two who could possibly come in next year and play. But then it's also, again, the question of how much of your cap do you want absorbed into one player. And so Seattle is going to presumably have the assets to make something like that work if that's something that they were interested in doing. But again, if you're them and you've talked about trying to win now and in the future, you have to ask, how much do you want a $10.5 million cap hit on your books. Now, granted, Jack Eichel is definitely a different $10.5 million cap hit because everybody knows what he's capable of achieving. But again, when finances have been so paramount to the Kraken, those are the questions that they're asking. Assuming Owen Power goes number one, as most people predict tomorrow, and assuming Seattle does not move the number two pick, is the obvious selection here Matt Beneers because of the center depth? Not that he needs to play right away. Many have him going there anyway, but because of what happened yesterday and because of how you're trying to build a team, is he is he the obvious selection to you? Well, he's definitely on a list of six or seven names from, from the sounds of it. And as far as if he's the obvious choice, I mean – it's hard to say at this point just because, I mean, teams are always secretive around the draft, but as everybody knows, Ron Francis and the Kraken take secrecy to a whole new level. So it's hard to say for sure, but when you look at the way their roster's projected, if they think Matthew Veneers is someone that can play next year, even though it looks like he's going back to the University of Michigan, whether they feel he can play next year or the year after, it allows you to get a two-way center, and as we all know in this league, you can get a two-way top six center. You you go do it if that's possible. Oh, there's a couple of them up there, William Eklund being the other. And in this strange year where some guys played a bunch, some guys didn't, it'll be interesting to see what Seattle values, assuming that's the pick tomorrow. Was there a part of the production last night or what happened yesterday that stood out to you down in Seattle? To be honest with you, I mean, we really didn't get a chance to see too much of it just because, we were talking to players, Commissioner Gary Bettman, Ron Francis, Dave Haxtall, when a lot of the show was sort of going on. So in terms of the production itself, uh, couldn't really be able to say, but in terms of the atmosphere, the thing that probably stood out was just seeing how Gasworks Park was just filled, how there were boats and canoes and kayakers on Lake Union. At one point, there was a kayaker that rolled up to Jordan Everly and started having a conversation with him. Um, <laughs> There was a kayaker that when Gary Bettman was walking between different media stations, like he booed Gary Bettman. Then there were other kayakers who were like chanting his name. So it's just, it's one of those things that it was uniquely Seattle because it's one of those, like how many other cities could you have that? I mean, Vancouver could be one depending on where they would hold an expansion draft. If you held an expansion draft in Vancouver right now, but yeah, it's just really Seattle to see people show up in a kayak and start talking to the commissioner. Well, 
there is a boat out in Lake Union with an inflatable squid, an inflatable purple squid. It's that just <laughs> chilling out on top of the boat. Yeah, the people who were there looked like they were having fun. Maybe save for Sean Camp, who could use a bigger T-shirt, but I digress. Hey, Ryan, thank you very much for doing this, man. I know your time is limited. Go get some sleep. You were perfect on the 38 and 37 games with the goaltenders. Thank you very much for your time. We'll do it again soon. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. That is Ryan right. Clark of The Athletic. Had to be out at a certain time. Sean Camp's shirt? Oh, man. Was that my shirt or was that Sean Camp's shirt yesterday? <laughs> Because I think they sent the Seattle Kraken shirt that was supposed to be for me to Sean Kemp yesterday. That wasn't what stood out most on the broadcast, but they got the oh. 2X Sonics on there. It was something a lot of people made note of, though. Yeah, it looked like it was the 1XL, Scott, and he needed a quadruple XL. Uh, you got some M former NBA players. You know, you've probably seen pictures of Sean Kemp since his playing days. You might want to go with the biggest shirt possible that you have, knowing that you have this player coming to it. Was it the shirt or the way he tried to say Don Skoy that stood out to you? Oh. He'd probably like another run at that one. <laughs> thought he might throw a dunk into Don Skoy's name. Dunk Skoy, do something a little bit like that considering that's what we knew oh, the rain man for. Did you did you enjoy the broadcast? It was yeah, it was fine. It was kind of like the rest of the day as far as the expansion list goes, maybe a little underwhelming. Personally, I enjoyed some of the campy aspects of it. To me, it was it was kind of family friendly. They went to the aquarium and had an octopus licorice the octopus reveal one of the picks. They used Mount Rainier to unveil Jamie Alexiak as their selection for the Dallas Stars. Kevin Weeks was at a bunch of landmarks around Seattle. So that part they leaned into, which I was okay with, but it didn't mm -hmm. have like the action movie, fireworks, explosions, that type of thing happening yesterday in Seattle. Yeah, I didn't expect fireworks only because we know like literal fireworks only because we know kind of what's going on in this uh, area right now. Forest fires, I'd expect them to keep that under wraps, but I did expect something off the hop. It's Jerry Bruckheimer. It's Disney ESPN thought there might be some, I don't know, trailer that we would have seen leading into it. That was fun. Have a little bit more fun with a Kraken. Scott just didn't see that. So just in general, it was fine. I watched it. There were moments on the night. I don't know. I, I said, Chris Fowler, you know, talking about the fact that he's dunking on some NHL franchises, NHL teams. Cammy Granato was probably one of the highlights of the night. Wish she had come out with some medals around her neck. But, of course, she was there down from Vancouver. Marshawn Lynch was fun, as always. Boy, boy, Callie. <laughs> Didn't want to pronounce Yank Rock. I loved the Marshawn Lynch thing. I had, a, a, again, it was a good-natured back and forth with someone who's just not a big Marshawn yeah. Lynch fan. I thought Marshawn Lynch was great. He always makes me laugh. He does. <laughs> Always makes me laugh. I'm here for any of the Money Lynch stuff. Yeah, he made a good point saying like, and he didn't try and pronounce the last name, right? He knew like, I'm going to screw this up. And he said, you know, if if I've screwed up your name, call me and we can hang out. We can figure it out. Sean Cl Kemp, of course, you know, not figuring out how to say the name. Macklemore with his uh, Gucci bucket hat. I thought he would have performed or something like that, but nope. Just announced two picks. Uh... He got the, the he, he got the crowd he got the crowd hyped when he was doing he got he seemed to get a rise out of the crowd yesterday when he came um, on stage he had he had a lot of energy to him he did but I did think that there was going to be some sort of musical 
presentation from Macklemore. You bring on a singer of that ilk from Seattle. I thought we would have seen something like that. The best tweet of the day that I saw, Macklemore is a great choice to present because these are some thrift shop blank picks so far. Throwing in the thrift shop. I did see a lot of people saying, well, you know that Macklemore doesn't shop at a thrift shop wearing that Gucci bucket hat. Uh, I thought maybe the fact you don't bring Kevin Weeks out prior to the event and then go to pre-recorded things that he's done all over the city of Seattle just because we kind of know that geographically that geographically that probably would have been impossible for him to do last night there were some things i questioned maybe they could have made fun of the fact that all these picks were out there and you know kind of poked fun at themselves but they didn't it was just it was just an event on tv that i watched basically it was corny and boring as hell glad we won't see it again for a million years that is one of the texts that comes in today kyle from the island says the televised seattle expansion <laughs> draft was rougher and cheesier than an elementary christmas concert the one thing I didn't get too much from this and I would get from an elementary school Christmas concert, you know, the um, I get the secondary embarrassment, Scott. Other than Sean Kemp, like I wasn't too embarrassed watching too many things, but it did strike me as a very NHL. Like when you watch the NHL awards, how many times do you cringe during something that like the guy at the front doing the monologue and it's just, it's cheesy, it's cringeworthy because the NHL players don't really know if they should laugh at the jokes. Are they funny? Are they themselves? It just struck me as very NHL. Joey in Richmond says, I thought the broadcast was pretty tame and vanilla as far as the jokes and whatnot, but I think it was really well done from the perspective of introducing a new team to a new market that hasn't had the sport at this level before. It made me chuckle here and there. also made me feel smart, like I knew more about what was going on than the host did, thanks to being on Twitter yesterday morning. What was the joke that um, Dominic Moore, he's, <laughs> Chris Fowler said, well, you did a good job reading the internet on that one. Like, you know, some of these players, it's like Dominic Moore has a little script from Wikipedia or Elite Prospects or whatever it is, and he's just reading that. I mean, he does his homework. I kind of get this. Oh, yeah, someone tweet, uh, texted this in, 650-650-960-960, the Carolina Panthers instead of the Hurricanes. The Panthers had fun with that, though. Did you see? They changed their logo. The Hurricanes tweeted them. I thought that was fun. Fowler didn't really understand that one, but I can understand you mixing that up. He's a football guy. It happens. They did everything they could to show off the physical beauty of Seattle and some of the attractions. Like, that seemed to be the theme of the broadcast. We're going to show you some of the great things about this city. We're going to show it off a little bit. I'm not suggesting that's a play for free agents, but that was basically the what, what they leaned into. What deals are going down besides Tyler Pitlick? And what's the return for Tyler Pitlick that Calgary will send, assuming it's Calgary on the other side of that business transaction? The trade freeze is about to lift. And we'll tell you what happens next right here on Rintoul and Sermon. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Release the trades. Make it happen. Let's go. Come on, insiders. You had all of this yesterday before we got Where's going with the Sarah expansion Valley? draft. Maybe he was told to cool his jets. Like Saravelli yesterday, maybe his best tweet was the last one that he sent out after that flurry of here's who this team will lose, here's who that team will lose, here's what Seattle's doing here, here's what they're doing there. Yeah. His last one was something along the lines of, I can't wait for the birth of the Seattle Kraken tonight. should be a great show. It's almost like a mic drop. I'm done. Yeah. Thank you very much. Don't contact me until I contact you. Here's the entire roster of what Seattle is taking. Enjoy the show. Hey, I saw people dunking on Frank on Twitter and, and about it because it took away from some of the lackluster that was the production last night, Scott. But he's got a job to do. He doesn't work for any of the rights holders right now. He's at a new place of employment. He's trying to make a name for himself. It's He's entitled to do that. He's more than maybe, you know, 
ESPN picked up Woj from Yahoo after this case. Maybe Frank goes somewhere else. I don't know. He chose Daily Faceoff. He's doing a great job there. He's broken a ton of stories. So it's his job. I understand that. And good on him for doing what he thought he should do. I'm if okay with it. If you don't want it to be broken, then tell the agents to quiet down. Tell your sources at league office to shut up. And to Elliot Friedman's point in the 31 Thoughts podcast, which will th- soon be 32 Thoughts, 32 Thoughts, the podcast, Maybe have your deadline closer to your actual announcement. Yeah. We're not going to have another expansion for a very long time. The math is where they want it now, so this isn't going to happen for a very long time. But this is on the league as much as it's on Frank Saravelli. And, look, you have a choice. You don't have to be on social media if you really wanted the surprise to be there for you at the broadcast yesterday afternoon. They chose 10 hours, Scott. 10 hours. And if you're going to choose 10 hours between having uh, trying to let people keep a secret in this league when you've got agents and other teams that are probably going to get it out there, I mean, that's on you if you decide to do that. Um, it, it gave us a lot of fodder for the day yesterday, so I was totally fine with it. We're expecting to see what happens with Tyler Pitlick, who is rumored to be going to Calgary. That's what most people believe. What is the return? What did the Flames pay for that? We'll find out here, hopefully in fairly short order, if in fact he is destined for Calgary, though it's been mentioned Philadelphia was circling in and around that. Ken Holland says no trades on the books. He is speaking right now in Edmonton. Holland says, nope, there's nothing there right now. He does say they are going to likely use one buyout. I don't think that strikes anyone as a surprise. And buyouts will be part of this discussion today as well, now that the roster freeze has been lifted and teams have seen what Seattle took, where they have to go financially as well. Yeah, the expectation is that it's James Neal for the Edmonton Oilers, Scott. It could be Miko Koskinen as well. They do need to figure out their goaltending situation, even though they are bringing Mike Smith back on a two-by-two. But they got to figure out a long-term plan. The Oilers have a ton of questions. We'll wonder if it gets a little uh, snippy up in Edmonton this time around, like it did when Duncan Keith was brought in. Got a little fiery in the press conference. Uh, we're going to hear from Jim Benning a little bit later on today. He's going to be on the Vancouver side of things at 11 o'clock today, and then do a press conference at 11.30. We're going to have him exclusively here on 6.50, though, before that press conference, Scott, in Calgary 960. You're going to flip over to local programming at the bottom of the hour. But so far, nothing has rolled in in terms of trades that we were expecting. Were you surprised, though, Scott, that we were talking about, like, let's let's wait and see. Like, this is the team we all knew that they were going to pick. But there was nothing attached to anything, at least throughout the day. And we're thinking, okay, there has to be some picks, some side deals here that we don't know about that will be released at the expansion draft. We saw in Vegas there was 10 on the day of the draft. Like, were you surprised at all that really nothing happened yesterday? Yep, I was a little surprised. I thought maybe there was an addendum attached to what they did in Carolina where Jake Bean appeared to be the obvious Mm -hmm. selection and they went with Morgan Geeky instead. I was surprised that I didn't hear anything about Philadelphia. They just decided they didn't want to go big cap hit. And they decided, again, opportunity cost wasn't there. Ron Francis held firm in his price. So it tells you one thing. Francis believes that either he was going to acquire very valuable picks that are assets, or he believed cap space was such a valuable asset in this environment that it was worth more than taking on term, beefing up right now, put this team out on the ice that, hey, looks like a much better opportunity to get a spot in the Pacific Division playoffs. The Pacific Division not expected to be terribly strong next year. He values cap space that much. And I do want to get to this clip from Brad for Living this morning. This was not asked about Ron Francis's cap space. It was asked about, now that Mark Giordano's gone, 
as much as you didn't want him to go, you get some cap space. It gives you a little bit of wiggle room. Here is Brad Living this morning talking to Boomer and the boys in Calgary on 960 about how he views cap space right now in this environment in the NHL. Cap space and having cap flexibility is is, is so critical. I think we, we still don't compute um, how important cap flexibility is. You see a transaction, so you see player X moved or leave, or and, and we in, immediately all focus on the return, right, of... of well, what's the prospect, or what's the pick, or what's the player, and 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 sometimes downplay how valuable having cap space is. The the hard part about that is you don't know when that next opportunity is going to be available to you. So if you have player X and Y that are sitting there, and and once they're gone, they're gone. So you're trying to balance that. You know the flexibility of having cap space, what that might open up to you to saying, okay, once this player is signed, you are not going to have access to them. And, and yes, you got flexibility, but what, what really is going to be in the market? You, you, you study the market heavily and you know, there's, there's almost a limit. There's a just, there's a limited supply of players. Um, so it's a balancing act. Um, you always like to have the player, but I think in, in, in today's world, even more emphatically with, with where we know the cap you know, is going or isn't going is probably a better way to put it. Having some flexibility, you don't know what's going to happen down the road. You don't know what other teams are going to do and what squeeze they may be put in. So we're going to, we're going to, you know, you're trying to be uh, patiently aggressive is what we talk about. This is about opportunity cost is again, Mm -hmm. I'll go back to that term. And what he's talking about there is obviously what Ron Francis has doubled down on here. We don't want to make commitments that take us out of the running of opportunities we believe are going to be there down the road. We can't even tell you exactly which ones they're going to be, but you heard Brad Living say it in that clip. Yes, you want a player, and you want a tangible return at the moment, but you also don't want to take yourself out of the running for something that could come up. Hey, player X is available. We can't get in on that because we don't have the the, the ability to do that right now. And the tangible return, Scott, right now is that cap space. And if you're looking at what happened yesterday, I mean, Bradford Living's the only guy. Well, you could say Jordan Eberle, his five and a half is also off the books of the Islanders. You can say Yanni Gord is 5.1 off the books of Tampa Bay. But Mark Giordano was the biggest cap hit they took. So he's got the biggest flexibility coming out of this expansion draft. Like, don't you think Nashville? Don't you think Philadelphia? Don't you think St. Louis would be happy to be in the position that Bradford Living is this morning? Didn't have to give, give up an asset and lost a significant chunk in a flat cap world off their off their books. Like, I think Bradford Living, yeah, you lost Mark Giordano. You'd like to have that player and have him retire. But you gained something so valuable that other teams did not gain yesterday. Still waiting for the trades to come out, and this isn't as quick as I thought it might happen. I thought right at 10.01, it would almost be like that free agency in years gone by where you're saying, oh, okay, that deal is officially signed now, and boy, there was, wasn't was supposed to be tampering, but I guess they were at the doorstep of player Y and, and got him under contract. Ken Holland is speaking right now. There's going to be questions, and there have been already, about Adam Larson and why that deal mm-hmm. didn't get done. Some details are emerging on on Mike Smith's deal. It's officially a $2.2 million cap hit for Mike Smith. That's over a two-year term. As far as Adam Larson, here's what Ken Holland had to say. I thought we were close to a deal about a month ago. I made four or five offers through June, July. Added a year. 
and a week ago said Adam Larson could talk to other teams, woke up to a text yesterday morning saying Adam had agreed to a deal with the crack and obviously felt pretty confident they were going to get him under contract, obviously believed those those conversations were heading in a very good direction, and Larson just chose to go to a different situation, Karen. He did. It makes me question kind of why he chose to go to a different situation, Scott, because he's choosing to go to a Seattle expansion team that – you basically have no idea what the roster is going to look like opening night. You have no idea how competitive they can be in the first year. Yeah, you look to the Vegas situation, but really, is that replicable uh, with this Seattle team this time around? But he chose to leave Edmonton. And, you know, I think the expectation was, like, Duncan Keith coming in. He's coming in thinking, oh, I've got Adam Larson. He's in the prime of his career. You know, a defensive stay-at-home guy who I can pair with. And then Adam Larson leaves and you've got a big hole to fill. I just I question if the lack of success in Edmonton over the last couple of years really weighed on him and he wanted a fresh start. Is it the city? Seattle's a more world-class city than Edmonton is. We all know about how hard it is to try and uh, recruit free agents to Edmonton. But you're choosing to go to a team and not play with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Like It just, to me, strikes me as there's a lot of questions about what happened and what went down there. And only Adam Larson can answer that. We've talked about that with free agents in the past, Karen, that everybody's priority list is a little different. Some players, I am going to get the most money possible. Maybe that's what Zach Hyman sees. Maybe he was, I'm at this point, I'm going to take whatever deal I can get that has the biggest dollar figure attached to it because this is only going to happen for me once. In Adam Larson's case, maybe it was, look, it's been tough living here. The pressure of the Taylor Hall deal, the guy goes and wins a Hart Trophy. Every time his name comes up, my name comes up. Maybe it's as simple as the city. Maybe he likes Seattle better I think a lot of people would choose to live in Seattle as opposed to Edmonton. Maybe it's financial with the taxes. I have no idea. I, I think that the tax thing is generally overplayed. But for whatever reason, Adam Larson wanted to be a part of a fresh start in Seattle and perhaps get away from the specter of, of that deal in Edmonton and the way that he's always been perceived since being acquired for Taylor Hall. It might not have anything to do with Edmonton, this texter texts in, Scott. Maybe he liked coffee. Yes, maybe he wants to have a Starbucks on every corner. It is crazy, though, and this is something that I just said in the texter texted in. It's crazy to think about that Larson has decided he would rather defend McDavid and Drysaddle than play with McDavid and Drysaddle. That's one of the jokes that was out there. Maybe Alex Edler goes to Edmonton now because of the fact he doesn't have to defend Connor McDavid, 97 anymore. There's a lot of moving parts here, but all we know is he wanted a fresh start. It wasn't something, whether it ha something happened with Edmonton and he didn't like the organization or he just wanted to move on, but it's a big blow no matter how you look at it to what Ken Holland had planned going forward. We'll see if there's any moves that come out. We were expecting some here in the first 15 minutes past the top of the clock. Nothing is shaken out as of yet, but when it does, we will get it to you ASAP. There is some Boo. news just coming in from the National Football League. I don't know if you saw this. Breaking news in the NFL. Further pressure to get players vaccinated. They are clearly, as a league, not happy with where the vaccination rates are at, and certainly with specific teams. We've seen some of the data released. Tom Pelissero just tweeted this out. The NFL just informed clubs that if a game cannot be rescheduled during the 18-week season in 2021 due to a COVID outbreak among unvaccinated players, the team with the outbreak will forfeit and be credited with a loss for playoff seating per sources. Massive implications. Last year we saw the NFL bend over backwards to make sure yeah. each and every game was played. Sounds as though they're not going to go to every single extreme to make that happen this year. 
And we just saw this with the SEC commissioner coming out as well, Scott, with college football saying, look, if there's a COVID outbreak and you can't play your game, we're not postponing. We're not rescheduling. It'll be a forfeit on your part. And Alabama head coach uh, Nick Saban came out saying most of his players, there's like a handful of them, have all been vaccinated because he understands that a forfeited game in the college football schedule is massive in terms of where the seating could be and leading up to the college playoffs. So I'm not surprised the NFL did the exact same thing. It's a business. They're doing their best to protect their product and to appease the television broadcast. They don't want another game on a Tuesday night, on a Wednesday night. They don't want to do that. We saw how Pittsburgh was screwed so many times last year because of not their own outbreaks, but outbreaks on other teams. So I don't know why the NFL is doing this. I await Cole Beasley's response. If you've been following him, you know probably what is coming next. Let's get to what they're saying. A lot of questions for Mark Bergevin in Montreal today. Jim Benning's going to join us at the top of the clock as we split our coverage. Local coverage in Calgary coming your way after this hour, and same in Vancouver. Mark Bergevin among the GMs in front of the microphone. A lot of questions to answer, including one about Shea Weber, who he says probably isn't coming back this season. In fact, he said, I don't I don't plan on having him here next year. Mm-hmm. Said, and then we'll see about his career. It's possible his career is over. Here's Bergevin talking about his captain. Well, it was hard for Shea. I mean, that's all he knows. It's, you know, he's a hockey player to the core. Uh, he's been doing that all his life. And it's really hit hard to realize that he can no longer perform the way he's expecting for him and his teammates and the pain he's going through daily. So we had an emotional, deep conversation. And, uh, I mean, I, I have a, uh, a lot of respect for Shea, uh, what he's done for the Montreal Canadian throughout his career. Uh, it will be impossible to replace Shea Weber. I mean, what he brings to our, to our team on and off the ice, we'll try our best, but I know deep down that you can never replace Shea Weber. It just points out to what we've been talking about and speculating once we heard Scott that basically his body's broken. <laughs> like it, The laundry list of injuries, the foot, the ankle, the knee, the thumb... And to tape him back just to get to go out there and play one more season, two more seasons, it's obviously just not an option anymore. He did that probably this entire last season. Uh, it was speculated that knee and ankle foot issues would keep him out this past year. It didn't. He played. Now he's got the thumb issue that's going to require surgery. He's been a warrior throughout his career. But at some point, you just have to take stock and say, it's, is it worth it anymore to put my body through this? Honestly. Carey Price doesn't sound like he's as bad as some may have feared the way that Bergevin talked about it. And he said they made a bet here, but he and Carey Price both believed that he was going to be back and they got what they wanted in that sense. There's some people not that happy about the way Montreal approached this. They reside in Seattle and think that Montreal used medical information in a way that, that sort of circumvented the spirit of the expansion draft. The other news to come out today is that Jonathan Drouin will be back with the Montreal Canadiens. Remember, he left for personal Mm -hmm. reasons. Bergevin talked about how well Drouin had played, in his opinion, after Dominique Ducharme took over, said that knowing what was going on, we understand now why there were some issues with his play. Didn't get into it. It was personal reasons. The family asked for privacy. I don't think people are going to delve into that too much unless Jonathan Drouin wants to talk about it at some point in time, but he's going to be back on the Habs roster, according to Bergevin, next year. 
Hey, you get a dynamic or a potential dynamic left winger back if you are Montreal. you got to be happy about that. Did he mention at all Philip Deneau? Did you hear any comments on him and if there's any conversations going on on a contract extension? Said he would like him back. Didn't say anything right. definitive, but he did say he would like Philip Deneau back. Most believe that he is bound for another market, and then he's going to sign himself his free agent deal, try to cash in perhaps the same way that Zach Hyman cashed in. Well, if you get a seven-year deal or an eight-year deal in a sign-and-trade, Scott, and you're Philip Deneau, good for you. Uh, you wonder if that's a player that maybe, I don't know, Seattle could be interested in. They do have a few third-line center, checking-line center, shut-down centers on that roster right now, but it, it will be interesting. He'll be a coveted player by some teams, whether or not he gets overpaid to go to those teams, Scott. I understand where Mark Bergevin is and you know not wanting to give him overvalue for to get that player back, but he was a key part of their Stanley Cup run. You lose Shea Weber, that's 7.5 on the cap, give or take a few hundred thousand dollars there. So maybe that gives you a little bit more flexibility. But without Shea Weber, you have to go get a defenseman as well. So a lot of work to be done in Montreal. Yep, there's some work to be done, absolutely. Not as much as there is to be done in Buffalo. You mentioned coveted players. Jack Eichel is most certainly that. Teams are still calling. What's it going to take as the price come down? Here's Kevin Adams talking about restructuring his roster in Buffalo. Oh, I mean, it depends. You know, we're not we're not focused on that saying, hey, we, we have to do this. But if it's the right deal that we think makes sense for us um, as we look to build around a young core of players, then we would do that. But it has to it has to be the right thing for us. Um, it's not something we're just going to do um, to do it. It has to be we have to look at each other in the eye and say this is the best thing for the Buffalo Sabres. The best thing for the Buffalo Sabres, is he able to close on that? It'll be interesting to see where the first pressure point comes with Jack Eichel because there's pressure from the outside market as well. Depending on the path of of medical decisions here, like if, they're, if, if a team is confident in the surgery that Jack Eichel wants or if Eichel's camp has completely relented and said, okay, we'll play it your way, we'll heal this way and move forward – there's a time crunch here because an acquiring team is, if they're going to pay anything close to the hefty price mm -hmm. Buffalo is expected to be asking right now, they're going to want Jack Eichel ready to go for the start of the season or pretty shortly thereafter. And I can't remember who was speaking about it today, Scott, but someone I did hear, whether it was Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick on the 31, soon to be 32 Thoughts podcast, but... Basically, the New York Rangers are very interested in Jack Eichel. We've reported that they have a package that they could put together. They're also kind of in the we should win now situation because of Artemi Panarin. He's in his prime. You've got Adam Fox going in his prime. You've got some young players that you could either build with or send the other way. But I guess they're having a hard time getting the exact medical information out of Buffalo and what's going on with Jack Eichel. And until you get that sorted out, if you're an inquiry team, I mean, you're not going to put a trade in until you know, will I have him or won't I have him? Or how long will it be until I have him? Switching from the National Hockey League to the National Football League, Tom Brady in conversation with Jim Gray. And look, a lot of people have made the comparison you're going to hear Tom Brady make in this clip. You just don't usually hear the guy himself make it, which is why it's getting a little bit of attention. This guy has lived with a chip on his shoulder since being drafted 199th overall. Probably goes back further when he wasn't able to grab the full-time starting job as a senior at the University of Michigan. And in talking about teams that were talking to him last year, trying to sign him, and what ultimately happened... Tom Brady obviously had a prove-it factor to what he was going to do with the Bucs. There's no better place for me to go than where I actually went was the Bucs. But you've caused I mean, a lot of intrigue with this, and everybody's guessing. Do you care to 
expose what was you were um, talking about? The no, because there's private things for me that are going to remain, uh, you know, motivational for me. So they know who they are. I mean, they know that the team. You know, think they know? Yeah, that teams know who the, who were probably interested in. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fine. I mean, everyone's got a choice to choose. You know, I think what you realize is that there's not as many smart people as you think. You know, I, it's just the reality. I think it's some, it, it'd be a no-brainer if you said, you know, hey, you got a chance to get uh, Wayne Gretzky on your team or you get a chance to have Michael Jordan on your team. Oh, we don't need him. You know, no thanks. We're we're good. You know, I my mind, I'm kind of thinking, okay, well, let me go. Let me go show those teams, what they're missing. And at the same time, let me go prove to the team that did bet on me and the team that really showed that they really wanted me and committed to me that I'm not going to let them down. Okay. So he compared himself to Wayne Gretzky and Michael Jordan. Is Tom Brady the new, and I took that personally, meme? He I think said he's it been that for quite some time. I think Tom Brady was the originator of that. Before we saw Michael Jordan do that on the last dance, Tom Brady has taken a lot of things personally over the course of his career. I would like to know, do you have, do you remember what the teams reported are that passed on him? Do you remember any of those? I think some of them were leaked out, like the, the Chargers and something like that, but they have a young quarterback. Like It's understandable why some teams would not want to take on a Tom Brady. I get that. But if you're in a contending part or you think you're in your window, you know, it, it maybe makes sense to bring in an aging quarterback who's won a bunch of Super Bowls. San Francisco was rumored coming off of a Super Bowl appearance where they were 10 minutes away from grabbing the Lombardi Trophy again and didn't get the job done and him being from the Bay Area and always wanting to play for the Niners and a Montana guy. That was a rumored team at the time. There were others. I can't name them off the top of my head right now. Karen? I thought Chargers were one, yeah. You just don't generally hear somebody make the same comparison that the average sports fan or sports broadcaster made. Oh, you didn't want Wayne Gretzky or Michael Jordan. How'd that work out for you? Tom Brady. That's how he is, and that's why he's still getting her done at the age of 43. It's kind of like the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, Scott. I'm not sure he is the best ever quarterback to play in the NFL. We can make some arguments about that. But if he sees himself that way and he uses it as motivation, hey, he just came off winning a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. They're looking to roll it back, that entire team. Do what you need to do to be successful at this point. There is breaking Coyotes news, apparently, according to reporter... John Gambadoro. Roger Shergill getting me this information just before we head to I break here. Coyotes are on the verge of acquiring Flyers defenseman Shane Gostisbehere, 28-year-old offensive defenseman, two years left on a six-year, $27 million contract that he signed in 2017 with Philadelphia. They've been trying to get out from under that deal in Philly for a while. That clears some cap space. We know a lot of the players that they uh, exposed, Scott, uh, Jakob Voracek, James Van Riemsdyk, Shane Gostisbehere, they were hoping that Seattle would take a contract to give them some flexibility. They didn't, so it looks like they had got out of one of those contracts and being Shane Gostisbehere. Um, wonder what the return is on that. Probably not much. What did Philly have to pay? What did Philly have to pay to move that contract if that's what happens here? We've seen Arizona say, we need to recoup draft picks. I mean, there was a savage comment put out there in Chicago today, by the way, when their scouting director of the Blackhawks, Mark Kelly, I believe, was asked about you know, projected picks in front of them. He said, what we do know is forfeiture is going number 11. That is where Arizona was supposed to be picking right before Chicago. They've been trying to recoup picks. They got a bunch in the Andrew Ladd deal. Are they going mm -hmm. to get more back? 
We will see. Apparently, Detroit acquiring goaltender Alex Nijelkovic from Carolina as well. That according what? to Pierre Lebrun. Deals are starting to happen. We'll get him into, the, into them on the other side. Haley Salvian of The Athletic will join us next as well on Rintoul and Sermon. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. He wanted three and a half. He's not going to get it from Carolina. I don't know how many years are attached to that, and perhaps that was the sticking no. point. This is an organization that has a pretty stringent philosophy when it comes to paying goaltenders, at least the ones they've had under their umbrella, and they're not deviating from it. It's Rintoul and Sermon. We'll be joined by Haley Salvian of The Athletic in Calgary in just a couple minutes' time. We're seeing a couple of deals go down. We don't know what the return is for Shane Gostisbehar, but he is on his way to the desert. Arizona getting in on that as Philly finally gets out from under the contract that they've been trying to move for the last couple of years. And as far as the three-and-a-half from Carolina, that's what Alex Najelkovic was asking for. Apparently his camp wanted about yes. three-and-a-half million AAV. I don't know for how many years. But they couldn't work something out, so Detroit is paying a third-rounder and Jonathan Bernier, who's an unrestricted free agent, not tied to the organization beyond this. If they want to negotiate with him in the next few days, they can do that. But that's the deal that's going down between Carolina and Detroit right now. Yeah, so right now Carolina doesn't really have any goaltenders under contract, Scott, with this uh, move. Jonathan Bernier, a UFA, as you just mentioned. Peter Morazic, an unrestricted free agent as well as of... July 28th, uh, Nedeljkovic uh, wasn't going to be qualified by Carolina because of his potential arbitration award, Scott. So they sent him to Detroit, I guess, uh, 3.5, uh, just too rich. When we find out maybe what the term was on that deal, we don't know what the term they were asking for. Shane Gostisbehar, former Calder Trophy nominee. How the career went, though, eh? He gets that deal. Now Philly did everything they could to get out from that deal, and Arizona takes it on. Two years left at $4.5 million per season, so they get a bit of cap flexibility. And as you said prior to the break, we don't know what Philly had to attach to that or what the return is for um, Arizona going the other way. We saw them already take on term and help the New York Islanders out for Andrew Ladd. And how many picks did the Islanders have to send the other way without getting anything in return other than cap flexibility? It just points to show like maybe Philly didn't attach anything. Sorry, Philly attached a ton to this and Arizona didn't give anything back because these general managers, as Ron Francis has said, as Brad Treliving said, as we heard earlier, Cat flexibility is your number one key this offseason. I'll be surprised if Arizona didn't get something here, but we'll wait and see. Hey, they didn't have to pay anything for Andrew Ladd. They got a whole bunch of stuff, and there was actually no trade return. I know. That's we'll what, wait yeah, and see how said, that yeah. deal shakes out. I think there's going to be something else involved in this. The Jelkovic deal strikes as good move Detroit. This is a young goaltender who has starters potential. If that's the ask from a contract point of view, Steve Eisman looks Right now, like, he's won this deal. For a third-round pick, okay, let's take a shot with Djelkovic and shore up our goaltending position a little bit with a guy who's shown a whole lot of promise. It does make me wonder what Carolina's doing here. Is Carolina going the veteran route? Does it see something on the UFA market where it says, okay, if we're going to pay a little bit, let's get Freddie Anderson, for example. Is that a guy that they would target? Are they just thinking outside the box the way they often do in Carolina. I'm very curious to see what the Hurricanes do beyond this. Do you not think, though, a like a Freddie Anderson, say? Like, isn't he going to be a lot more than 3.5? Maybe not, but you're going with a veteran versus a guy that has an upside and showed a ton of potential for you last year in Nadelkovic. Like, wouldn't you want to grow your team with that player versus going a veteran that may cost a little bit more than 3.5 mil against your cap? Well, and he may only cost a little bit more because Freddie Anderson's had some injury hiccups here and he hasn't been able to stay healthy 
not only in the regular season, but postseason at times as well, wondering if he's burnt out. He made $5 million bucks last year. I don't imagine he's hitting one out of the ballpark on the free agent market this offseason. I'm, uh, that's just a hypothetical. I'm just throwing that. Maybe they like Linus Allmark. Maybe they're going to take a run at him. Maybe they like him better than Najelkovic. I'm not sure exactly what Carolina's thinking, but I'll tell you, with that organization, I'm always curious. Let's head to Calgary and hook up with Haley Salvian of The Athletic, who joins us here today on Rental and Sermon. Haley, thank you very much for your time today. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I mean, I was waiting for things to happen, and it looks like uh, now they, they kind of are as we're hopping in here. So I'm good, just kind of waiting. The calm yeah. before the storm, I guess you could say. Yeah, I thought we were going to get the Tyler Pitlick deal, and everybody thinks that he's coming to Calgary, and we're all just kind of waiting to see what the return is going to be, but a couple other teams have gotten out in front of the market. Yeah, it's looking like it. I mean, uh, like I said, it, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I mean, some things are starting to roll in. There's lots of reports happening. Um, you know, Pitlick was somebody that we saw. I, I believe it was actually it was one of the first ones kind of Last night, um, Elliot Friedman brought it up on the podcast. Um, so we've seen Pitlick tied to Calgary a little bit here, but uh, I guess we'll see. Maybe my uh, maybe my Twitter feed's not refreshing fast enough, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm refreshing it as fast as we can go. Maybe Frank Saravelli, I'll put on his and see what he's going to say uh, coming out. I wanted to talk to you about, just talk about the Flames first, and maybe we'll get the Pitlick deal as we talk to you, but... Mark Giordano is gone, and Brad Treliving, he was pretty, I won't say emotional, but, you know, pretty introspective about losing the captain um, of the franchise, but the price was too high, and we saw Mark Giordano yesterday interviewed, and he said, you know, it's been an emotional uh, 24, 48 hours for myself, but I'm happy to be here. Like, what was your takeaway with the Mark, losing Mark Giordano and not having to give up anything to keep him? Yeah, well, I think it's it's obviously very significant to lose um, not only your captain, but somebody who was so important to the Calgary Flames for so long. I mean, he's the second longest tenured player, or at least he, he is now. Um, now he's with the Kraken, but he was the second longest tenured player in franchise history behind Jerome McGinley. Um, you know, he's been with the organization for, for 15 seasons, I think. It's been well documented, his bet on yourself story. I mean, he he said it yesterday on stage in Seattle that uh, this was the first time he's ever been drafted. And I mean, it was just such a, it's funny and it's tongue in cheek and it's great, you know, knowing how emotional this whole thing was for Mark Giordano and, and certainly his family and the Calgary Flames that he could, you know, poke a little bit of fun at himself. But he was undrafted in the Ontario Hockey League and he was undrafted in, in the NHL and he, he came in as a free agent with the Calgary Flames. He had that one-year exile to the KHL. He went and played in Moscow for a year and um, ended up becoming one of the league's best defensemen, winning in Norris. He's so well-respected around the league, not just for the way that he plays, but his leadership. Um, and like I said, he's the longest-tenured flame in, in history uh, behind only Drew McGinley, who's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. So his contributions have been so positive on and off the ice. Him and his wife were huge in the community. So... Um, certainly, it was emotional for, for Mark and his family. It was emotional for Brad Living, as he said. And I think it was emotional for a lot of fans, I think, knowing that the prices were reportedly exorbitant. And that was more or less confirmed this morning by Elliot Friedman that the ask was a first and a third round pick to stay away from Mark Giordano from Seattle. Um, I think a lot of people had time to kind of come to terms with the fact that he was probably going to be gone. I mean, he has 
one year left on his deal. He's 37 years old. And as much as you want Mark Giordano to play his thousandth game in Calgary and, and play his career in Calgary, you can't really give up a first and a third round pick for potentially one more season with somebody when, when your other options to expose is, is Chris Tanev, who had a great season, Rasmus Anderson and Noah Hannafin, who are both 24 years old. So um, it's a business at the end of the day. And I hate saying that because these are human beings and these are people with emotions and feelings as we've, we've touched on. But I think a lot of people had time to come to terms with this. I think seeing him in the Kraken jersey probably uh, made people feel uh, ways that they maybe weren't expecting. You know, it made it very real. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a significant loss for the Calgary Flames. And um, that's a really, really huge hole that they're going to have to try to fill on the blue line and with their leadership group. And um, But the, I guess the positive thing is, and I look at this as a glass half full, I mean, you have almost $7 million now in cap space to go and make some changes to your roster. Um, so it's a difficult day, but, um, you know, it, it's not all bad. Haley Salvian of The Athletic joining us. And just before we further that conversation, the return for Shane Goss to spare for the Philadelphia Flyers. They get a 2022 second and a seventh rounder, which was originally a St. Louis pick. More on that as the show continues. Haley, back to the Calgary Flames for a second and that cap space you mentioned. Brad Living was on 960 this morning, and he went into depth about how valuable cap space is now. How much do you think it helps facilitate a deal as he looks to shake up the forward group on this roster? Well, yeah, well, it's huge because, you know, not only do they, I mean, they don't only have $7 million in cap room now. I mean, they have a little north of $20 million to work with. I think right now, um, according to Cat Friendly, and if we play around on Armchair GM, which I feel like I live on this time of year, and my favorite um, services to use, just playing around on Armchair GM and playing with cap space and, um, you know, they have a little over $20 million of space to use, and they have 13 NHL rostered players. So they have a ton of flexibility with what they can do. Um, you know, they do have some contracts that they'll either need to work out, whether it's Johnny Goudreau for an extension, um, you know, or looking at some of their contracts that they have that they could potentially be trading out. Um, they could, you know, use that cap space. You know, they could, you know, they don't, they're not the Ottawa Senators. They don't have... Um, an exorbitant amount of cap space, but 20 million is significant enough that you could potentially see the flames, you know, take on a contract that's a little bit bigger. If a team can add a sweetener, um, you know, in this flat salary cap world, it's, it's such a luxury to have that much salary cap space. Now, again, that space can, can go pretty quick. If you start signing guys to, to massive contracts or you're trading for guys with big contracts, um, but it's going to be huge and it's going to give the Calgary Flames a ton of flexibility um, with what they're able to do this offseason and, and leading up to the trade deadline as well if, if they end up you know, getting back into contention or competing. We talk a lot about the three teams in the two provinces that call BC and Alberta home. The Edmonton Oilers, we see what they're doing with free agency right now. A guy like Zach Hyman. I think Vancouver might make the most transactions of the three teams. My feeling about Calgary is Treliving may make the biggest splash among the three. Do you feel like that's a good read on my part or no? Yeah, you know what? I'm act- I've been pretty – it's really difficult to know what the Calgary Flames are going to do in terms of their transactions. Um, you know, if we're talking signings, they're obviously going to have to make – 
several because they do only have 13 players currently signed to their NHL roster. Um, you can make up that space pretty quickly. You know, you re-sign Dylan Dubé and you saw Valimaki. You maybe put some of your um, American Hockey League guys who are going to be pushing for spots or some of your prospects. You can fill out roster spots that way. Um, so naturally, they're going to have to go out into the market. They're going to have to replace Mark Giordano. They're probably going to, like I said, they're going to need a top four defenseman. Um, you, you know, you don't replace Geo, but you're going to need to bring somebody in, I think, because their their blue line is is quite young when you look at it right now. Um, they're going to need, I think, top six right winger um, or even just right wingers in general. That is a pretty big hole on the roster. Um, they need a backup goaltender. So there's a lot to do for Bradtree living in the next couple of weeks leading up to the season. But in terms of big trades, I'm, I don't want to say that they're going to make a huge splash. I'm sure they're going to try. I'm sure Bradtree living is going to try to shake up the core because we've, we've heard um, on your station him say for the first time, we, for the first time ever, I need to look at this core and make some changes. Um, is Mark Giordano that change? Um, do you trade Johnny Goudreau? Do you trade Sean Monaghan? Um, is Matthew Kachuk involved in something? Although I think um, Kachuk's probably the least likely to be moved unless you're talking about a big blockbuster trade. But I think you go down the list of the core pieces that the Flames are looking at moving and you can probably find reasons why that they either shouldn't or they won't need to. And that's either low value or a player that you likely want to keep. So while I think the big conversation has been that the flames are going to make a bunch of changes. It's a lot easier said than done to say that the flames are just going to trade Sean Monaghan who's coming off of another hip surgery and another down year that they're going to trade Johnny Goudreau who's one year away from UFA status teams could realistically have a shot at in free agency in 2022. Um, so I don't disagree with you, Scott. I think it's possible that the flames make the biggest splash, but I think I'm just, I'm not a betting person, and, and if I was going to put my money down, I just don't know if I feel like I, I should right now. Just to be clear on that Gosta Spirit deal, as I broke in a couple minutes ago, it was mistyped. Elliot Friedman, it's, the two picks are going back to Arizona. There's a pure cap dump, so Arizona's getting a couple of picks. Again, a deal we'll discuss as this show goes on. I'm not willing to dunk on Seattle based on what it did yesterday because it felt like step one of a multi-pronged attack. What was your read on what Seattle did yesterday and all of the cap space it left itself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, when we saw the protected list, I think, you know, if you went through and just said, you know, if they pick the best player available from every single team, Seattle's going to be a really uh, great team and um, they'll be cap compliant. They won't have as much space, but I think um, my colleague Dom Lustrician went through and got the best player available from every team by his model. And, and it was about $75 million cap hit. Um, I'm not prepared to dunk on anybody either. I think the Kraken probably have their internal plan. I think we're probably going to see some, I say probably we'll maybe see trades. Um, who knows how things pick up here. But um, I think if we would have looked back to 2017 and in the Vegas Golden Knights initial draft, we probably would have been saying something similar. I mean, a lot of the players that Vegas initially drafted didn't end up playing any games for the Vegas Golden Knights, and they were doing a lot of, um, you know, follow-up trades, flipping guys, bringing in different players, bringing in different prospects, and it ultimately worked out very, very well for the Vegas Golden Knights. I think some teams have shown that they learned from their mistake. They're not going to let Seattle come into the league and make the Stanley Cup final one year in. Um, so we'll see. I think that they made a lot of deals 
knowing that cap space is going to be a real luxury um, in this flat cap world. Um, so I think they have a ton of room. They have a ton of flexibility. Their, their D group is pretty good, and I think they have some solid pieces. I think their, their forward group leaves something to be desired. But if Chris Drieger can um, have a strong season, their goaltending looks pretty good. Obviously, I covered the Ottawa Senators, and I – personally identified Joey Decord as somebody who could end up being one of the best goaltenders in the Sens organization. So I think that was a really smart selection. Um, you get Jamie Alexiak and Jordan Eberle, you get Mark Giordano. So I don't think it's maybe as bad as some people think, especially if they can make some deals to, to kind of beef up their forward group and, and fill out that roster with more top end talent. Haley, when you look at who they did take in the expansion draft, are there any names that stick out to you that maybe other teams may circle back to, or maybe Ron Francis has a deal in place with another team and took them for another team and, you know, have has a trade in place? I mean, it, it's tough because I don't know if I would have looked down the list and said Tyler Pitlick is somebody who could be flipped, but now we're seeing those reports. Um, I think for me, when I look through the list, Jamie, I mean, obviously they, they signed Jamie Alexiak to a long-term contract, so I don't think that's uh, realistic. But, um, you know, some of their prospects, I think, you know, maybe there's a team who's really interested in Morgan Geeky or maybe there's teams who, who need defense. I, I think the biggest side deals or follow-up trades that we'll see probably comes on the blue line because they did take so many extra defenders um, who those players are. I'm not totally sure. I think it depends on um, the need around the league. But it's again, it's what Vegas did in 2017. They drafted um, a ton of extra defensemen and, and they made deals flipping them to bring in different players and different picks and prospects. So I would say we'll probably see more trades coming from the group of blue liners that Seattle did. More trades, more trades, more trades. We're all looking for them right yeah. now. Haley, thank you very much for your time once again. We'll do this again very soon. Get back to refreshing that Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. That is Haley Salvian of The Athletic in Calgary. A couple of updates to get in here. Mm -hmm. Since we told you about the Jelkovich trade from Carolina to Detroit, he signed a contract, and it's very reasonable, which has a lot of people questioning Carolina right now. Two years $3 million per, down from the 3.5 AAV ask that was reportedly out there from yeah. Frank, Frank Saravelli. So a lot of people saying, what is Carolina thinking? What do they do with their cast base? What do they do with their goaltending situation? Story incomplete. Arizona will take on another contract that is deemed bad. It's not as bad as Andrew Ladd because he doesn't even play hockey anymore. They'll just use that LTIR <laughs> space, and they'll help, the Andrew, or they'll help the New York Islanders out there. If he's not going to be able to play, even though he says he wants to, they get three draft picks in that. They get two more draft picks in this Goss Despair deal. They get a 27-year-old offensive defenseman who has obviously shown more flaws since he initially burst into the National Hockey League. They get a second and a seventh next year to keep him. And there are a lot of people, Karen, all of a sudden pointing the finger at Ron Francis saying, you wouldn't do this? Like, if Philly's doing this with Arizona – why didn't you get in on this? Or why didn't you take Goss Despair and read the market better and then flip him at half the freight or a part of the freight to a place like Arizona for some kind of return? I'm not sure this well, was available to Francis. I don't know. I have no idea. But that's the question being asked right now. Remember what? Remember who's making this deal for Philadelphia? It's Chuck Fletcher. And remember the scrutiny he did with Vegas? Because he gave away Alex Tuck 
to save Matt Dumba, right? Like he, Minnesota was one of the ones that gave an extra player and said, okay, we're going to give you this if you stay away from this player. And maybe Chuck Fletcher's going, okay, I'm not going to make a deal with an expansion draft team and Ron Francis may have been asking for a first and a third. I mean, that's what he was asking with Calgary. So maybe he was asking that from Philly. So it's two years left at $4.5 million. It's not a terrible cap hit when you just look at it in its singularly. Like $4.5 million, you think, yeah, Ron Francis could take that on. He has a ton of cap space. But maybe a second and a seventh wasn't available to him. Arizona now. For Andrew Ladd, they've taken on now $11 million in cap, in cap space with Andrew Ladd's and Shane Gostisbehere's deal. So they get a 2021 second round pick in that trade. They also get now three 2022 picks, Scott. There's a conditional second round pick. There's an actual second round pick and a seventh pick. And they have a 2023 third round selection, which they got in the Andrew Ladd. So it's one of those things where they're trying to get some draft capital back. We know what happened with the 11th overall pick that they don't have this year. They only have one in this year's draft, the 2021 second overall from Andrew Ladd, but still getting some draft capital. Holding house, clearing house, if you will. And here's the thing that jumps out. It's the free stuff. It's the free stuff on the side of the road. You don't have to give us anything. We just want you to take this from us. And Arizona saying, well, I don't have a truck. Well, we'll provide the truck. We'll provide the gas. We'll provide the labor. And we'll do that in the form of picks. We're going to turn things over to local programming in Calgary. We'll be back with you tomorrow, the day of the draft. Yeah, forfeited pick at number 11. Calgary slated to pick 13th overall. In reality, that is the 12th pick in the draft. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. We'll turn you over to local programming there, and we will have Jim Benning, the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, join us next on Rintoul and Sermon.